Dark Red Radio. Warning, the following program is solely intended for a mature audience. Any of the idiotic opinions and views expressed on this show are solely opinions of Dark Cringe Radio and not of its advertiser, which is completely pointless because this poorly produced, dumbass podcast has no advertisers. Furthermore, any rebroadcast or redistribution of Dark Friend Radio podcast without per- the permission is strictly prohibited. If you do, we will find you. Then we will send three black-eyed children to your home or office to collect your soul. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. Conspiracy theorists of the world unite. He is refining his methods. He is evolving. There have been other times when a danger upon the world required the services of singular individuals. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Dark Fringe Radio. I'm your host, Will Martinez, here with you tonight. And uh, thank you for joining me on episode number two of our podcast. And uh, one more episode, and we'll make it as long as Scarmucci, that guy uh, who already got canned by the uh, White House. I don't care politically wise, whatever, but man, that guy probably had a record of the fastest in and out job of any person in the White House. I mean, that's that was incredible. Anyways. Uh, we have a lot of great information for you guys tonight, and um, we actually have an interview with um, a great gentleman that I spoke to over the phone and by the name of Kerwin Rodriguez, and great guy. He uh, runs a site called Holistic Mystics on Facebook, and I uh, definitely urge you guys to uh, check it out. But he's also a lifetime practitioner of martial arts and um, very well entrenched and well educated in the um, realm of the esoteric teachings. We get into talking about uh, alchemy and magic, um, and also uh, something I like to call the awakening. So um, really cool um, information that uh, me and him talk about, a great conversation, and um, I think you guys will be definitely uh, interested in what he has to say. So we'll get into that here momentarily. First of all, I'm going to have some news, and then uh, we'll have the interview, and then after that, um, some entertainment news and uh, a movie review of a great movie I saw over the weekend called The Void. And um you're going to love um, that particular movie. You can catch it on Netflix currently, and um, you definitely won't be disappointed. But I'll get into some more um, details and specifics of that movie later on in the show. But I also wanted to remind you guys about our social media, definitely on Twitter, at Dark Fringe Radio there. You can catch most of our active day-to-day um, operations, what's going on um, on that particular social media. Also want to urge you guys on our Facebook, uh, same handle, Dark Fringe Radio. 
And then all the links to all the stories that we talk about on our show will be provided in our on our website, darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. So there you can find all the links to all the stories that we talk about here tonight. And I uh, wanted to thank you guys again for joining in on episode number two. And I hope um, some of the audio quality issues um, that uh, were encountered in the uh, first episode uh, cease to exist in this uh, episode and further on out. So I hope to bring you guys a quality co- uh, podcast tonight. Uh, we'll get into the uh, interview with Kerwin here um, in a moment. But first, we'll get into some news. So please stick around. Phantasm. The delusion of a disordered mind. A phantom. A spirit. A ghost. For nearly four decades, it has been contained. But evil always has a way of breaking free. Tommy's gone. It's hard to believe. It was a good idea not to let your little brother come to the funeral. Yeah, I don't like this place. Something weird is going on up there. The funeral is about to begin, sir. What's wrong with you? There's something up there. I saw it. You got some kind of an overactive imagination or something? I know you're not going to believe this, but these things were here. Give me a break. Okay, I believe you. What we gotta do is lay that sucker out flat and drive a stake right through his goddamn heart. You gotta run that tall bastard straight down to hell. You play a good game, boy. But the game is finished. Now you die. Phantasm. Don't fear. Hate us because they ain't us. They hate us because we ain't us? It's a formidable scent. You goddamn motherfuckers. You that chronic making me paranoid, baby. Now for the news on Dark Fringe Radio. All the news, uh, guys. Thanks for joining in. And uh, we're going to jump into um, some messed up headlines here. I've, I've been you know, doing some research for the uh, show. And um, every day I'm, I'm not surprised by some of the headlines that I read. I mean, every day you know, in politics, which, by the way, um, we're going to be doing a politic uh, full show, I believe, next week. And I'm going to have a guest on for that. And we're just going to dive uh, deep. I mean, we're going to get down. Uh, next week into some politics. So um, I know we haven't really spoke about uh, that particular subject matter here as of yet, but we are definitely going to get into it. Uh, we'll throw some, some some conspiracy theory in there as well, but we are definitely going to um, you know peel back a lot of onions, uh, especially about what's going on in the current administration uh, in the White House. But in the meantime, for some other type of news that I'm going to bring to you tonight, uh, scientists CRISPR the first human embryos in the U.S. Now, when I read this story, I mean, I don't know. I was very conflicted. And the reason why is because they have this um, supposed gene editing technique called CRISPR uh, that scientists have basically um, you know, invented. And they're able to basically turn off and on genes that are in your DNA 
uh, to make you, you know, susceptible or unsusceptible to, you know, possibly diseases and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's at the very early stages of, of research, but basically the gen- gene editing technique CRISPR is turning out to be something very extraordinary. Researchers are making um, malaria-proof mosquitoes, uh, disease-resistant tomatoes, live bacteria, thumb drives, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, MIT Technology Review reported that uh, for the first time in the U.S., a scientist had used CRISPR on human embryos. Um, behind this milestone is a reproductive biologist, uh, Shaurat uh, Matalipov, uh, the same guy who uh, first cloned embryonic stem cells in humans, and came up with three parent in vitro fertilization. Uh, he also moved his research on replacing defective uh, mitochondria and human eggs to China uh, when the NIH declined to fund his work. Uh, throughout his uh, career, uh, Metalipov has uh, gleefully played the role of a mad scientist, courting controversy all along the way. Uh, yesterday's news was no different. Um, editing viable human embryos is if not exactly a no-no, at least a controversy in itself. And Metalipov and his colleagues at Oregon Health and Science University fertilized dozens of donated human eggs with sperm known to carry inherited disease-related mutations, according to Tech Review Report. At the same time, they used CRISPR to correct those mutations. Uh, The team allowed the embryos to develop for a few days, and according to the original and subsequent reports of a battery of tests revealed that the resulting embryos took up the desired genetic changes in the majority of their cells with few errors. And uh, Metalipov declined to comment, saying the results were pending uh, publication next month in a prominent scientific journal. Metalipov's group never intended to implant the eggs into a womb, but the embryos were clinically quality and probably could have survived implantation. That makes this only the second time scientists anywhere have edited viable embryos. All right. So let's say all this is real. I mean, it's really creepy and it really changes the dynamics of, you know, the possibilities of what bad can happen with this type of technology. But it may be also legal, at least in Oregon, where um, embryo research is kosher as long as it doesn't involve federal funding. So officials at OS, um, OHSU excuse me, confirmed that the work took place there and that it met the university's inter, um, institutional review board criteria for safeguarding the rights and welfare of subjects involved in human research, presumably the donors of the eggs and sperm, and in this case... No one on the outside knows which exact genetic tweaks the researchers actually made or how safe the procedure was. The lack of transparency could turn into a real problem. These are special cells and they could have had special considerations given to them if you're going to CRISPR them, says Paul Knopfler, a stem cell researcher at USC Davis who wrote a book on designer babies called GMO Sapiens. Uh, Knopfler uh, worries that Incautious work like this could lead to political backlash against CRISPR more broadly, like what happened to stem cell research in the 2000s under uh, George W. Bush. Knopfler was quoted on saying, we don't have an unlimited amount of time to talk about these things and figure them out. Uh, The stuff is moving at warp speed, and we need to get our act together in establishing guidelines that are much clearer and what is okay and what isn't. Not that scientists haven't tried. In February, the National Academy of Sciences produced a report with its first real guidelines for CRISPR research. It did not go so far as to place a moratorium on gene editing on the human germline modifications that a person's offspring could inherit, though it did suggest limitations. 
Scientists are only supposed to edit embryos to prevent a baby from inheriting a serious genetic disease, and only if the doctors meet specific safety and ethical criteria and if the parents have no other objections. Those obstacles aren't insurmountable, and particularly slippery slope winds between them. At the Aspen Ideas Festival last month, UC Berkeley biologist Jennifer Doudna, one of the people who discovered CRISPR, stressed that the need for unified policy on germline editing before scientists really start doing it. Once that begins, I think it'll be very hard to stop, she said. It'll be very hard to say, I'll do this one thing, but not that thing. And at that point, who decides? In the U.S., it'll probably be the federal government. Congress has already banned federal funding for human testing of gene editing techniques that could produce modified babies. That provision is tucked into an appropriations rider that has to be renewed each year. So it's an annually moving target. Congress has also barred the U.S. Food and Drug Administration from even considering clinical trials of embryo editing. But even if those laws did change, the FDA's approval process for these kinds of technologies is among the strictest in the world, and they would require years and years of animal studies before the first test embryo could conceivably be conceived. Uh, for this is something other than just reckless person doing something crazy. Uh, we're looking at at least a decade and maybe more safety testing, says Hank Greeley, a law professor and bioethicist at Stanford. In countries with laxer laws, it could happen sooner, like, say, China, where scientists have reported three attempts at using CRISPR to modify human embryos. Uh, the first two studies have used genetically defective embryos that could never come to term, but the most recent, published in March, used viable embryos. And while all the three studies produced mixed results, CRISPR was the most successful at repairing faulty genes in the normal embryos. Experiments are also moving forward in Sweden, and the UK that used CRISPR to knock out different genes in viable embryos to study effects on development. Modifying embryos that are never going to be implanted is not close to the boundary, Greeley says. Doing it in embryos you might want to implant is a real close to the boundary and shouldn't be done without any discussion. But that's not what Metalipov did. Maybe all the institutions apparently involved with the research refused to comment citing an embargo, which would make sense if there was an embargo to break. There wasn't, according to Antonio Regalado, uh, who covers genetics for Tech Review, but didn't write this story. Consider it instead just a good new old-fashioned leak. If you think of a viable embryo CRISPR research as a journey and not as a destination, right now scientists all over the world are on the same path. But at the same point, the road will fork. Someone will implant an engineered embryo into a human womb. The work coming out of China and Metalipov's lab that has implied assumption that someday it will wind up being used heritably in, in humans, Knopfler says. And I think that requires a unique obligation from being more open about it. Metalipov's research is not a good start. So, I mean, that's um, pretty crazy. I mean, just to consider the fact that it can um, actually go in and start editing these genes. Um, I was doing some more research and saying that they can actually, you know, are able to also even turn off obesity on uh, the obesity gene, uh, the cancer gene. So there's so many things supposedly that um, that can be done uh, with this editing process. And it's just in a way, it's kind of scary, too, because um, you don't know which country can get a hold of this type of technology and with their laws can be a lot more lax than ours, allow them to do research and, you know, allow certain things to happen uh, in their country that we may allow 
Uh, and that could, um, you know, that can be a really weird thing because you may have people from other countries that may be genetically altered. You don't know. So very weird scenario. Never thought that in my day that we would ever have to worry about something like this. But, you know, there you go. All right. So since we're on the um, subject of biohacking, um, I read this other story that um, I ran into and I just really couldn't believe I was reading it. But then again, I could because of um, the kind of times that we're living in. Um, a Wisconsin company announces that it will be installing microchips in their employees, um, but they're insisting that there is no GPS tracking device uh, or tracking at all, uh, which come on, please. A Wisconsin company announced this week that it plans to install microchips in employees, but they're insisting that there will be no GPS tracking. Uh, Three Square Market, a company that designs software for break room markets, is about to become the first U.S. to offer microchip implants for its employees. According to their press release, the program will be an optional uh, one for the employees, and the company will begin implementation on August 1st. Uh, the implanted radio frequency identification chip uh, will allow workers to make purchases in their break room, micro market, open doors, log into computers, and use the copy machine, among others. Eventually, this uh, technology will become standardized, allowing you to use this as your passport, public transit, all purchasing opportunities, etc. The three uh, market square CEO Todd Westley said. Uh, The company is expecting over 50 staff members to be voluntarily chipped with the technology that is no larger than a small grain of rice. Employees will have the chip implanted between their thumb and forefinger underneath their skin. Westby explained that users of the chip will scan their items at a break room market kiosk and hit pay with a credit card. Chip users will then hold their hands up similar to how consumers pay for products using their cell phones and it'll pay for the product. Each chip costs $300 and the company will pay for them. Westby said that the data is both encrypted and secure for those wondering that there is also no GPS tracking at all. I don't believe that, but, you know, be as it may, I thought that was crazy. I don't even understand how anybody would allow anyone, a company, to embed and plant a piece of technology inside of them. I mean, you have to have some faith in some people to be able to do that. And not only that, it's probably invading your privacy. You probably don't even know what that little thing is recording. You have no idea. And to be able to just allow somebody just to go ahead and do that, I I mean, that's pretty ballsy to me. I don't think I would be able to take a risk like that. That's pretty shitty. All right, switching gears now. Um, We're going to get into near-death experiences. And um, uh, NDEs, as they're called, are reported around uh, 200,000 Americans each year. Uh, So what are they? Uh, does life after death exist? Are there realms of uh, experience that transcend the corporeal world? What is it? What's going on? So um, there is one man who's supposedly convinced that he went to the edge of hell and back. That experience changed his life forever. Uh, Dr. Rajiv Parthi was uh, focused on being successful in life, making lots of money and having all the nice things in life. In other words, he led a very materialistic life. He was a doctor. He was the head anesthesiologist at Bakersfield Heart Hospital in California. Occasionally, patients would describe to him out-of-body experiences after surgery, but he never took much notice. That is, until he experienced his own near-death experience. Nine years ago, Dr. Party was on his death's door after he was giving a diagnosis of having prostate cancer. After a number of unsuccessful surgeries for his cancer, he became seriously ill and was rushed to hospital, where he underwent further surgery. It was during this operation that he had an experience of going to hell with an out-of-body experience. He was able to see himself being operated on and could later relate a joke 
the operating doctors had told while he was unconscious. When I left my body, I saw the surgery happening on me. I could smell the infection and hear everything the surgeons were saying. He said the anathologist told a third joke, and when I was in the recovery zone, I repeated the joke to him. The surgeon said I, he thought perhaps my levels of anesthesia may have been too light and that I was partially awake during the surgery, but I felt no pain, so I w that wasn't the case. When Dr. Party experienced the horrible scenes from the brink of hell, he asked himself, Why am I here? What have I done? I'd arrived at the gateway to hell. I can easily relive all the moments of my near-death experience, from my meeting with my departed father on the rim of hell to the past lives that he explained my problems with ego and a prescription medicine, to the glorious meeting I had with guardian angels Raphael and Michael coming out to me on a field of flowers that glowed with ineffable power of pure love, he wrote in his book, Dying to Wake Up. His dad, who had treated him cruelly um, as a boy, had appeared to him in a tunnel of light where he then experienced the light of a thousand suns that did not hurt my eyes. Dr. Party reflected on his near-death experience, during which angels warned him to change his ways. I was a very selfish person, he said. Uh, while I was a good technical doctor, I did not have sensitivity to my patients. I was not kind to my patients, and I met someone. I always asked myself, what can I get from this person? It was there in this heavenly place that they gave my new life new direction, saying, Now it is your time to heal the diseases of soul, addiction, depression, chronic pain, and cancer. Then the Reformed doctor made it his life's mission to tell others of his experience in hell and what he had learned. Teaching these truths have become my life's purpose, he said. I only had this experience once, but after my near-death experience, it opened myself up to more spiritual experiences. I went for a deep meditation escape after my surgery, and I have communicated with angels throughout meditation. He related his story in a book titled Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife. In, an, in order to help many others who are suffering in life and looking for answers. Uh, perhaps many of us would like to think that there is life after death and we could certainly hope such an afterlife would be pleasant. Perhaps this is one reason why some people believe in doing good deeds and trying to avoid hurting others. Indeed, throughout history, many cultures believe that doing good deeds, whether it be the Christian belief that doing good leads to heaven, or whether it be the Buddhist belief that a accumulating good karma by doing good deeds leads to spiritual perfection, or whether it be that the common saying among ordinary people that what goes around comes around. Both ancient and recent wisdom advises us to be virtuous and never malevolent. Well, you know, um, I love stories about near-death experiences. I've had a couple of myself um, throughout life, and uh, they were pretty profound. I've never done any kind of uh, regression therapy for for that, but uh, that's something that's always been um, of interest of, uh, to me. So uh, maybe I will do that one time uh, or another uh, later on in life. I love stories like this and hearing about other people's uh, experiences, of what they see uh, when they have an experience of such nature, and um, you know, just really, really cool stuff. And it really makes you wonder of what's really what really does happen after you die. That's the question that everybody asks themselves. Um, you know, everybody has their beliefs, but no one knows really, really at the end of the day, no one really, really knows. So, all right, guys, well, that's it for the news for this week. Um, next week, I told you that um, we're going to have a more uh, fully entrenched uh, conversation uh, regarding uh, politics and the uh, state of uh, America and uh, all the stuff that's going on. And I'm actually going to have a um, 
an individual, hopefully, on the show uh, that's going to give a very one-sided view and aspect of um, you know the politics. And we're going to get into that, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting because it's he's a person that I've uh, been friends with for you know many years, um, but we have very different political views. But we get along just fine. I mean, other than our political views, we have no issues. I mean, uh, we get along perfectly. We work together. We've known each other for many many years. And um, that's probably the only thing we don't agree on is probably our politics. But we don't let that get in the way of our friendship with um, with like a lot of people that you've seen, especially at the beginning of this um, uh, this election, which was very polarizing. Obviously, um, you saw a lot of people, you know, unfriending each other on Facebook and um, being very nasty towards each other, calling each other names, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, a right winger or a left winger, uh, a liberal, a conservative, a this or that. Everything's a fucking label. And um, everybody was throwing these names at each other and just, you know, it was very divide- dividing. I, You know, a lot of people were divided because of this. And I, I don't think that was a good thing. And um, I think that when people start labeling other people and saying, oh, well, you're just doing this because you're such and such. And, you know, I think that's just a horrible thing. But um, enough about that and, and getting off my soapbox. But next week, like I said, uh, we're going to be getting into a more in-depth uh, conversation about uh, the current administration, what's going on around the world, uh, politics, and um, you know, hopefully it'll be an interesting conversation. So um, next are, is our interview with Kerwin Rodriguez. Again, we'll be speaking about magic, alchemy, and the awakening. And I hope you enjoy this interview, and uh, we'll be bringing that up to you guys next.
Thanks for joining back in here at Dark Fringe Radio. Um, I'm, my guest today is uh, Kerwin Rodriguez. Um, he actually runs a site called Holistic Mystics, and um, I ran into him on Facebook. And very impressive website, and I wanted um, to bring him on tonight to talk about alchemy and some magic as well. And, uh, you know, pick his brain and get some basics uh, regarding that. Uh, Kerwin, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me on. Listen, uh, I do appreciate you coming on, and um, like I said earlier, I jumped on your site. I was really impressed. There was a lot of information on there um, regarding mysticism, um, and what kind of caught my eye is the alchemy part and the magic. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed as of late, but I think there's been um, somewhat of of an awakening with a lot of people as of late, um, you know, kind of getting more uh, interested in this kind of information, the kind of the esoteric, uh, you know, teachings that are just you know are not mainstream and um, I'm starting to see a lot more people uh, kind of gravitate towards that are you seeing the same thing too absolutely I mean just as 10 years ago uh, or 20 years ago it would be really difficult for you to come across quality content and information that deals with the esoteric I mean you'd really have to search find something of of good value and today things are so accessible and so readily available that there's people having conversations just like we're having conversations now about subjects that in the past were arcane secrets that were only talked about behind closed doors so it's definitely a time of awakening yeah, absolutely. And um, if you could give me a little bit of background um, on you, um, where did you know? What was your genesis in, into you know your whole journey into you know um, you know exploring all this um, information? <laughs> it's actually uh, kind of somewhat ironic. I started my family. Uh, my family is a martial arts family, so I grew up learning martial arts, mm-hmm. and I had certain experiences with what I was learning that led me to reading stories of the masters of martial arts. And they all had the same hidden message. They all kind of hinted that it was the spiritual practices that really gave them the edge and made them who they were. So that got me thinking at an early age, hey, maybe I should look into this. And I started searching, started with the Zen meditation, of course, and then got into Qigong and yoga uh, the tantric Vajrayana type yoga I got into, and it just kind of really fueled uh, this fire that was going on inside of me to to learn more. And so I actually approached it from a martial arts perspective. That's pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, um, I've always been very much interested in the martial arts myself. Um, and I've always thought that, um, you know, I've always come from that school of thought where, you know, your body, you have a certain limitation with your body. And then, you know, there comes a point where you reach a, a plateau or a precipice, you know, where your body is limited to. And then I think to get to that next level, it's not a, a physical thing. It's more of a spiritual thing. Do you, do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, we're taught to think that spirituality is a thing that we do apart from our lives. However, when you really get into the depths of the work, you start to realize, man, I, I have to sleep. I have to eat. I have to do these things regularly throughout my life. Uh, really the only difference between doing those things and, and having a spiritual practice is my intent and how I approach it consciously. Mm-hmm. 
So if I'm going to rest and relax, I might as well do it as a meditation. If I'm going to breathe anyway, I might as well do it in a sense of doing pranayama or, or qigong. And so little by little, my spiritual practice starts to seep into my everyday living. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty cool, man. And, um, you know, I, I find that very inspiring. And I think that's uh, I think that's a, a good message that I, I think a lot of people need to hear. And um, I think it's um, unheard um, and, and, and not talked about as much as we spoke about earlier. And um, I think what you're talking about can really help a lot of people in their lives, especially if they're dealing with something, um, you, know, you know, psychological or whatever, maybe even a low point in their life. You know, something like this can really, I think, uh, you know, people can benefit from. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny because I come across a lot of people who they say that they've been interested for such a long time in knowing more about these kinds of things, but they never really get involved because it just seems like such a daunting task. It's, there's so much to learn. There's so many things that you have to dedicate, and it's all so hard because the moment they sit down to meditate, instead of having quiet in their mind, their mind is racing, and it's going from one thought to another, and so they think if this is how hard it is in the beginning, then I have no hopes in the future for anything more advanced. And I think what happens is there's a lot of people who overcomplicate the issue either because they themselves are just regurgitating other people's words and haven't really gotten very far in the work, or they're guarding this for their own, um, for their own reasons. It, there's no reason why it has to be so incredibly difficult. We start with something very simple, and success breeds more success. And we just move one step after another towards progress. And I think that's where the martial arts perspective really helped me in my spiritual path. As a martial artist, especially if you're training in a way that um, you're developing skill sets as opposed to just exemplifying an art form, and both is okay, uh, but I come from a school of thought that you're trying to develop a skill set. And so everyone's a legend in their own mind until they get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, we all have to go back to the drawing board and say, what can I do to not get punched in the face? Guilty as charged, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. We all say, I could do this, I would do that, until none of it really works. Right. So we have to have practical methods of developing the skill. And our esoteric practice should be no different. I see a lot of talk about things that, frankly, is, is highly convoluted, and there's a lot of people who jump on the bandwagon just because it's kind of the common story that's told. However, the actual work is, is clear-cut and, and very um, scientific in the sense that I know that if I do this, I get that. Right. And it's repeatable, it's reproducible by myself and other people. And when you approach it in that sense, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, I I think that um, you know, I'm 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 as guilty as anyone when um, you know, you say that, you know, you've run into people that have thought about it and researched it and, you know, done every kind of, you know, you know, reading uh, upon the subject and, you know, not actually done it, but just done so much research and not actually pulled a trigger and doing it. And I think it has to do with a lot of um, what I call like mental garbage that we carry sometimes. And, you know, when, right. you're, when you're talking about meditation, I think that is what kind of 
clears that and um, and, and kind of you know res- you know pushes kind of like the reset button on, on you, uh, and it kind of clears you so that way you know you can kind of focus on you know what task is at hand or what goal that you may have in life. Absolutely, you know if you're going to look at it, there's there's an Eastern view and a Western view. At the end of the day, they're really looking at the same thing. They just approach it a little differently. Um, let's talk about magic for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we hear a lot of times that the efficiency of magic or the effectiveness of magic has to do with the power of the magician's will. Mm-hmm. And to a point, that's true. There's other things involved, but to a point, that's true. And so what happens is if I'm going to direct my will, then I need it to function kind of like an arrow. Mm-hmm. I draw the string, and this is my my intentions, and then I loose the arrow, and then my my will hits the target. Mm-hmm. And the arrow is effective because it moves in one direction. So if my mind is constantly jumping from one direction to another, chasing one desire after another, and running away from one fear uh, after another, then it's very hard to move in any direction without being easily swayed by whether it's a draw towards something I desire or a pull away from something that I fear. Mm. And so that's part of the real value of the meditation of being able to harness the, the impulse of the mind and the energy of the mind and direct it single pointedly to my target. Hmm. That's interesting. And let's, yeah, let's talk about magic. And, um, you know, as of late, you know, there's been, you know, you see that, TV things, you see the movie things, uh, you know, and it, I think it's kind of like we reawaken people in some aspect uh, as maybe as cheesy it may be. And it's not the same thing I know. Um, but um, when we talk about magic, I know there's different schools and different thoughts of magic. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah there's a me. lot of different types. Um, uh, there, the ceremonial, you have the hermetic. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of variances, but like most things at the end of the day, we're using specific symbols and specific tools and specific ceremonies to have a certain effect. Mm. And so that's where magic finds its commonality across the board. I see. And um, when you're talking about symbols, are you talking about sigils in specific? Is that, is that, is that correct? Well, sigils is a part of it. Yeah. Um, But it also goes into other symbols. You have something as simple as, uh, the different star patterns, whether it's the pentagram or the hexagram right. or the heptagram, you have all these different star patterns, and and there's the planetary symbols and sigils. There's the um, angelic signatures and sigils that we use to invoke or evoke different uh, entities. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is we approach things as though the identities that we see, the people that we see, the animals that we see, those things are real, and symbols are just representations. Mm. Well, on the subtle higher planes of uh, magic or in trance states of meditation, it's really the other way around. When we see something that is personified in a, in a personal form, it tends to be an embodiment of a quality. And so that person is symbolic of that quality, mm. whereas the symbols are actually the living... Uh, the living, breathing type of uh, representation itself uh, that remains the same. 
So through all the different variances, these symbols don't really change. Mm. So they're more real than the personification. Mm. That's why we use the symbols in magic. Got you, got you. That makes sense. I, I kind of understand that now. Um, explain to me, what's um, what do you think is the biggest misconception of when people talk about magic? <sighs> okay, well, I think what the biggest misconception is... Um, they tend to, whether it's because of media and movies and stuff, uh, Harry Potter, stuff, stuff right. like that, right. they think that becoming a magician is just becoming this person who's able to harness this unseeable power to shape and mold the world and have superpowers, so to speak. And unfortunately, you'll see all types of, uh, all types of magical uh, bodies of, of, uh, schools of thought mm -hmm. that actually market themselves in that way, you know, have superhuman this, superhuman that, and it kind of misses the point. You know, the or original, the original uh, intent of magic can be broken down into two main branches. Now, a lot of times it's called high magic versus low magic uh, or theurgy versus thaumaturgy. Okay. So what theurgy is, is it's really just using, uh, using these sacred arts of magic to be able to encounter, whether through invocation or evocation, um, different levels of spiritual beings for the sake of eventually having what's known in many circles as knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, and by doing so, we come in contact with our true will, our true self, and everything else is now about aligning ourselves with that. So we are moving in harmony with the current that is meant to flow through us. And by that viewpoint, doing magic to get more money, doing magic to um, get a, uh, a partner, whether it's a girl or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever the case is, these things to fulfill personal egoic desires is considered low magic or thaumaturgy. Mm -hmm. But in the end of the day, it's really just a matter of order. I can, if I come into contact with my holy guardian angel, I acknowledge in conversation with the holy guardian angel, and I, I attain this understanding of my higher purpose, my higher will, my true will, then what was considered lower magic uh, or thaumaturgy, mm -hmm. those things can be used to help accomplish the task of my will. And so it really just is a matter of, am I doing these practices in alignment with what I'm here, what my higher purpose is, or am I just doing it to walk around like I'm some magical superhero, just kind of waving around a wand and doing things that I want. Right, right. Yeah, so there's got to be a purpose, obviously, a, you know, a non-selfish purpose behind it, obviously. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because in magic, one of the things that we have to do as we as we continue through the path is any idea of opposites. Mm -hmm. We have to learn to reconcile them. So even the idea of selfishness, mm -hmm. well, it's it's still selfish to a point. However, the idea of self is what changes. Mm. Interesting. That's interesting. And do you think there is a? I mean. In everyday practice of use in this day and age, do you think people can use magic in their everyday life and it would be beneficial to them? 
Well, actually, I think that what happens is more often than not, we are already using certain types of magic unknowingly. Mm. And this is the this is the problem where let's take what's very widely popular and, and very well known, um, the secret. Now, the secret is actually just a rehashing of much older con- concepts that have been taught throughout the ages. Uh, some very well-known names have been attached to it, and it's been packaged in a way that people gravitate to. Right. Now, the idea of the secret is telling you that you can manifest things into existence uh, by using your will. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's in line with the traditional magical perspective. Mm -hmm. And and that's all all well and good. Uh, The thing is, I can't just desire something. I can't just want to think of something. I can sit at home and imagine a... Um, you know, a million dollar check coming through the mail all day, but I, it's probably more effective that I go out and, and work for something as well. Right. And so there's levels of things. And so if my conscious mind says, I want this, but I don't work with the subconscious and unconscious, then it's a losing battle because we know that the conscious mind only really accounts for about 10% of the mind's power. Mm. So if the other 90% is in contrary to what I think I am saying that I want, then I can't really expect it to come to fruition. Yeah, it's an uphill and battle. So, I'm sorry? It's an uphill battle at that point. Absolutely. So a lot of the work is a matter of trying to align my conscious self with my subconscious and unconscious self so that when I go to do any kind of magical operation, now I, I'm, I have it's the arrow that's flying in one direction. Hmm. And what happens is if we're so constantly stressed and worried and negatively thinking about all these things that I don't want, well, I mean, the subconscious mind doesn't really focus on the I do or I don't. It only focuses on what I'm thinking on. So if I'm thinking that, oh, I don't want to have all this poverty in my life or I don't want all this, chaos in my life and these things well the subconscious mind doesn't pick up the i don't mm-hmm. it only sees mm-hmm. poverty and chaos mm-hmm. and so that's what's perpetuated hmm. you know and I, it's, we're, so, we're, it's so funny that you you mentioned the subconscious mind and and you're right because every day we do things subconsciously you know you know we brush our teeth you know we shower you know we get up we do all those things and we do that subconsciously it's not like we need anybody to tell us to do those things we just know to do those things and, you know, you're right, because a lot of the times, you know, when you're thinking that mentally, you know, negatively in a, in a way, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely fighting a, a fight that you're never going to win. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really needs to be addressed is the idea of what we say, what we verbalize mm-hmm. has a lot of power, uh, but so does also the things that we kind of say in secret within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this kind of touches on some of the... Some of the more, um, I, I guess the best way to say it is some of the lesser known origins of some of the magical mindsets. Mm-hmm. If you look at alchemy and a lot of the artwork and, and a lot of the imagery that's used both in alchemy and in magic, there seems to be an exaltation of wh- what we know as mercury. Mm. So it seems to be almost contradictory because whether it's tree of life whether it's the order of the planetary gods uh, in myth and all of that, Mercury is a 
is a lesser god, mm-hmm. and yet in magic and in alchemy it appears to have a really highly exalted place. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to that. In in the Egyptian, um, I guess, uh, in the Egyptian myth, there is a there is a deity that goes by the name of Heka. And so in ancient Egypt, the idea of magic, the, the people who used magic were considered priests, priests of Heka. And so in the creation story, before all the other gods that we're familiar with, Isis and Osiris and all of that, mm-hmm. um, there were certain deities that were, that were created. And the way that they were created was through a magical current. And this magical current was Heka. And Heka was that, I guess, that frequency, if we're going to put it in modern terms, Mm -hmm. that allows creation uh, to occur. And it is the current that we tap into that allows us to do magic. And so there was these three beings. Uh, They were called Sia, Su, and Heka. And so these three were seen as spiritual attributes. Um, and so what ends up, what they are is, uh, for example, Sia. Sia is the one that represents the, uh, the awareness, okay. right? It's, an, it's very important. So this is our perception, our ability to be self-aware. The idea that the cosmos is conscious and aware, that's what, really represents and then uh, you have you have the uh, Sue right or who and 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 some traditions they are the uh, it's the word and so this word this has to do with letters mm. and the formation of letters and we see in Kabbalah and we see in uh, in Arabic magic uh, also there's this idea of using letters to create powerful effects. Hmm. And we carry that into modern terminology as spelling, meaning casting spells. Grammar, if you look at the etymology of grammar, it is what it means is the art of words. Right. Or the art of the letter, I guess, is, is the better way to say it, the art of the letter. Right. So when we speak consciously, of what we're saying, it has very powerful effects on our reality. And so if there's a lot of negative self-talk, you are creating an environment within yourself of doubt and chaos because you're divided amongst yourself. Hmm. So our first, I guess, task, if we really truly want to harness magical power in, in the way that we think we should, is to reconcile the divide between my conscious thinking, my subconscious thinking, all these fears and and self-loathing that we have and eliminate this negative self-talk. Kerwin, tell me, how does one do that? How does a a layman like, let's say for instance, myself, how does, how does one reset themselves to be able to uh, reconnect the, the, the conscious and the subconscious? Well, that's, that's what a lot of the magical operations are really designed to do. It gives you various methods of doing so at various depths. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a person who is just 
starting and they don't know where to start there. They don't have any magical um, implementations. They don't have, they don't have objects that they can use. They have, they have no idea where to start. It could be something as simple as a constant positive affirmation. So instead of having something different that you tell yourself every day, it is something that you repeat to yourself often throughout the day and you repeat that every day until eventually you catch yourself repeating it silently in your mind as a background white noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what mantras and these prayers are, uh, these chants that they do in different cultures, is, it's really what it's supposed to be. It's not simply, I'm going to ask or I'm going to say this because that's what I'm supposed to do. You repeat it over and over and over and over and over again until it's going on in the subconscious mind and what that does is it helps to program the subconscious mind in that direction. Hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, I've heard a lot about frequency and frequency and using it in magic and um, in various different forms and how they use frequency in music and, you know, various different ways how it can affect people and um, how it could open up another channel and, you know, maybe even dimension to some people. Um, what is what is your thought about the frequency in, in people? I mean, how how important is that? Well, we frequency is something that's measured. Mm-hmm. So it's something that is naturally a part of our reality. So is it important? Of course it is, because it exists. But um, we can't necessarily think in terms of uh, frequencies because our thoughts and emotions are fluctuating and our practices as we speak. We have, in, uh, we have influxes in our voice that alter the frequency as we speak. And so, yes, frequencies are important, and I do want to raise my vibrations and raise my energy levels. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what we're really talking about is how do I, in magic anyway, how do I use these things to create meaningful change? And so if you look at the overall practice, there's three things that are constantly in place in a magic ritual. You have something involving a shape, you have something involving a number, and you have something involving a sound. And often these things are meant to correlate with each other, and they represent the three different levels of reality. The manifest form is the shape. Mm -hmm. You have the sound, which is on the opposite end of the spectrum, representing the the infinite and the eternal because a sound is a vibration of energy and we know that energy can never be created or destroyed only changed right it is the number which is the frequency that we normally talk about which is the measure of the connection between the two so when you look at uh, climatics for example certain frequencies create certain shapes in in a metal plate when you put uh, when you put sand on it Mm-hmm. So there's a direct correlation with certain frequencies, which is the number, certain sounds, and certain shapes. Now, can um, Corwin, can somebody do this, like, you know, at their home? Or is this something that they have to, like, dedicate, you know, a, a space to or maybe outside? Where, where can one do something like this and, 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 you know, practice this? Well, if having to choose a location is going to be the make it or break it idea as to whether or not I start 
then throw that out the window and just start anyway. Gotcha. As you start to have some more experience, then you start moving towards a little bit more of a dedicated space, uh, a little bit more of a dedicated uh, area in your home or, so, or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the reason is simple. If I have an object and I use this object for many different reasons, then it's not necessarily for a specific reason. And it's the same thing with the space. If I used my bedroom as a living room mm-hmm. and everyone that came over my house was also coming into my bedroom, then I wouldn't have that same feeling of comfort and privacy and uh, that I would have in my bedroom. Right. And the same is true when it comes to creating sacred space for our ritual practice or our meditative practice. If I have an area that is just a common area, everybody goes through and there's a lot of things going on, when I go into that space, the residual energy that is in the atmosphere is going to is going to be resonating with everything that has been through there. Mm. If I use a space specifically for my practice, well, then in time, the energy of that space also contains that uh, that same quality. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, can you tell me a little bit about chaos magic? I that's something that. Um, that I, I kind of fell into and started reading about. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and maybe give my listeners a little bit more of a better understanding about chaos magic? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give you my, I'll give you my interpretation of it all. And, and here I'll be honest, I'm not entirely, uh, I'm, I'm not so much of a follower of the chaos magic and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's fine. I mean, the idea of the sigils is, is, very ancient and and a lot of the stuff that they came up with they actually took from um from cornelius agrippa Mm -hmm. so you have the planetary um uh, squares mathematical squares and each of each of these squares is associated with one of the planets and then there's numbers on there and there's names of certain beings that are on there and the names have numerical values because it's in hebrew so based on the name, it draws out a sigil. So they took that same idea. Mm. And the idea here in chaos magic, with specifically with the sigil work, is I create a sigil, which is a symbolic representation of my will. Mm. And so if I cannot access the subconscious and unconscious areas of my mind through my own will, mm-hmm. then I have to create shortcuts. And so what happens is, I will say something, for example, um, if I write down a phrase that I will, uh, let's see, just something, I will complete what I started. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I come across a lot of people who don't really see their projects to an end. Yeah, that's me. So <laughs> I will complete what I start. Mm-hmm. That can be your sigil. And you write out that phrase you take out any repeating letters, you take out all of the vowels, and there's two ways of doing it. You can arrange it to form a picture, or you can make a square with numbers on it, associating those letters with numbers, and use that to create a grid. And so you know what that sigil means. You know what that symbol represents. Mm -hmm. And so as you meditate and as you work with this sigil, it allows that sigil to become a symbol. And as we said earlier, in this 
plane, we see symbols as a representation of a thing, but on the higher planes, the symbol is the thing. And that allows us to carry that will or that statement into the subconscious and unconscious unconscious areas of our mind. Hmm. Um, tell me this, Carwin. Um, people come from different, um, you know, backgrounds of faiths and religions and so on and so forth. Can anybody from any background of faith practice, you know, these things? Uh, does, you know, does it make it less effective if you come from another background or religious background or another? Uh, tell me, how, how does that work? I, I'm glad you asked that because that's something that is kind of one of our, uh, if, if you look on our website uh, or if you look at our Facebook page, um, both of them go by holistic. The website is holisticmystics.weebly.com. Right now I'm using a free service with Weebly because um, I don't, I haven't been charging for any of our services. We have everything here is just uh, free and open to people who are who are uh, willing to learn. Um, that is changing a little bit just because of the venues that we're using to be able to share this information. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's why it's Weebly, and then on Facebook it's Holistic Mystics, and our slogan is "Truth is one; its garments many," mm-hmm. and so. Our position is that all of this stuff is in all of these different traditions. It's just hidden under allegories and symbolism and metaphors. So I don't think you have to be from any particular faith or religion. I don't think that it makes any difference Mm -hmm. uh, where it's not magic and alchemy and esoterics that is in, in contrast with these religions, it's the other way around. It's the it's the literal thinking of the religions that create a barrier between themselves and the actual spiritual practice. Right. Yeah, I totally believe that. I think, um, you know, I think that's what really divides us as humans. You know, I think that we, um, you know, when it comes to religion and, in, in, you know, having that, you know, unbearing, you know, close-mindedness where, you know, you can't sit down and even have a conversation with somebody who's opposite of you anymore. You know, it's gotten to that point. I think another thing is happening as well is that people are starting to realize that if people can have that uh, discourse, uh, you know, between each other um, that come from completely different backgrounds, um, I think that's a completely another level of, of, of being able to communicate and actually making a difference, um, you know, in this world, because I think a lot of the other stuff is what keeps us, you know, from working together and it becomes a barrier. I agree. I agree. And this is one of those, this is one of those topics that keeps coming up and and I think it can, it needs to keep coming up until we get past these. And there's, there's people who want to hold on to their, uh, ideas and the things that they've learned and and that's okay. I mean, it, it everybody is in a different phase of their development, so it's fine. But what we're seeing today is people are starting to question, and and so here's the very simple question. And we're just going to take what's very prevalent here, uh, where we live, in in the in the um, the religion of Christianity, mm-hmm. and it's many different forms. In the religion of, of, of Christianity, they're, they're, there's a lot of things that they talk about. Things, um, God the Father, there's a lot of spiritual things that are going on. Uh, and yet, 
if it says biblically that if we believe that we would be able to do all of these things and more, right? Right. And then, so you have to ask yourself, if I can't do any of the things that Jesus did, if, I, if I'm not seeing any of these angels, if I'm not having any of these experiences, and nothing has changed from the everyday mundane to anything that resembles a spiritual experience, then I'm faced with only a couple of options. Either A, it's all a lie. Mm-hmm. B, I completely misunderstood what it's saying. Um, or C, I'm being lied to. Right. And so what we usually end up having is a combination of being lied to and a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very well-meaning uh, people that are perpetuating things that are just not true. And and that's, that's the issue. Um, so I think that by finding these things within the same scriptures that they're they're reading, there's tons of alchemy. Right. There's tons of alchemy and magic and, and magic, astrology yeah. all over the Bible. Of course. I mean, don't you think Moses partied the Red Sea wasn't kind of some kind of magic? I mean, right, exactly. And he was going to uh, the Pharaoh, and they were actually kind of uh, pairing up certain things that they were doing between the magicians and and uh, and Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the main things that I I think people will need to hear is that the Bible itself says in there in several places that it is not meant to be taken literally. Right. There's a, and I can't see a reason why a glorified history book would be considered sacred. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to the people and the listeners who may be uh, very devout in their faith. You know, I'm, I, I am not saying it for that purpose whatsoever. I am not trying to contend against what they believe. I am only contending with the limits of what they believe. Right. And that's the difference, where if they were to look at all of it, where it says uh, uh, in several places where these things are parables and these things are allegories, that the very next obvious question is, okay, what is it a parable? What is it an allegory or a metaphor for? Right. What is it pointing to? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's that first question that really starts us on that esoteric path is trying to find out what is it really talking about. I heard this pretty interesting theory, and it was just a theory, and I I found it quite compelling. That you know how they talk about the twelve disciples in the Bible, correct? Yes. Well. I heard a theory that that because what you just said, you know, everything is just, you know, it's not to be taken literally. It's just, you know, you know, you just take it, you know, whatever, which way it's not to be taken literally, though. I've heard a theory that the 12 disciples were actually the 12 constellations in the universe. And and I thought that was brilliant. I was like, man, that makes a lot of freaking sense. I was like, that could literally be taken that way that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, pointing towards, you know, you know, particular points of the Bible to, you know, certain, you know, uh, constellations, you know, whether it be Taurus, uh, you know, uh, in comparison to Hera and all that stuff, you know, and I thought it was just a very compelling idea of how, you know, what it could be actually representing. I'm not saying that's what it actually is, but I thought that was a really brilliant, um, you know, theory. Yeah, I 
if you were to look at uh, one of the oldest uh, Bibles, mm-hmm. one of the oldest Bibles um, had very picturesque paintings uh, in them uh, on the cover, and and what you'll find is that it actually has a picture of the the four living creatures, and it's described in, um, for example, you have in Revelations, or you have in Ezekiel, you'll have these four creatures that it has the, the face of a man, the face of a bull, the face of... Uh, when you look at them, what they're describing are the... These are the four, uh, the four cardinal signs that are used in astrology. Mm-hmm. So the man is Aquarius, the bull is, is Taurus, the eagle is actually an old symbol uh, uh, that's used for Scorpio. And so we have these four living creatures, and this isn't one of the oldest Bibles that are there, and those four were related to the four apostles that are in the written works of the Bible. There you go. <laughs> so within its own text, you find support for that same theory. Yeah, that, that's wild. I mean, that is just unbelievable. And I, and I ran into that theory, and I was just like, you know, that explains a lot. It just it, it fits, you know? Um, you know what, listen, uh, Kerwin, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, tell me, give me your information again, website, um, you know, all your information, where we can get more of your information. Um, go ahead, please. Sure. Yeah. The website is holisticmystics.weebly.com. And, uh, the Facebook, I have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. It is holistic mystics. And, uh, yeah, I'd love for you guys to come out, uh, like, and share our stuff. We, we put a lot of posts out there. Uh, one of the things that we try to do is bring these mysteries to a lucid understanding, uh, which is what we're doing with a lot of our workshops. Uh, right now we're doing an alchemy series in South Florida where we're taking a lot of this alchemical references and we're, we're really putting it down in an understandable way, and, and that's the beauty of it. We, we have all this stuff that is very ancient, very symbolic, and it's in all these different cultures. However, when you come down to it, you start to realize that there's verifiable things that we can find to support um, the physiology of what changes within us when we do this, why it's considered to happen within a certain time frame. All of these things start to make lucid sense. And at that point, we know, I do this, I get that, and then here's why. And it just dispels a lot of the a lot of the confusion that is rampant in in a lot of the uh, circles where people are are just beginning to get into these types of subjects. Right, the mental garbage again that we're talking about. And I think it's a great thing what you're doing, man. I think um, you know uh, you know putting together talks like this and, um, and and these presentations. I think it's so important. Uh, you know that way, and people to come out and see these things and listen. Um, and I think it's just going to be, it's going to go fold after fold and that fold after fold. I think more and more people are going to start to awaken and start to listen and, um, you know, really take in another, uh, you know, side of this, you know, coin that, you know, most people don't really look at. And, you know, I think it's very important. Again, it's, um, holisticmystics.weebly.com, correct? Yes, that's it. All right. And if they want to contact you directly, that's holisticmystics.info at gmail.com. Is that right? You got it. That's the email. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Kerwin, let's go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. sorry. I I was just, I'm the one that runs the Holistic Mystics page. Um, I do my very best if anybody sends a message on there uh, to get back to them as quickly as possible. 
So you could shoot an email, message us on Facebook, and you will get a response. Um, most of the time, it comes directly from me. Yeah, I will be a testament to that because um, when I reached out to you initially, uh, you got back to me pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I will be a testament to that. Uh, Kerwin, listen, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I'd love to have you again if you'd be, you know, honored to come on. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you on from time to time to talk about different things and also um, support any kind of events that, you know, you may be doing. Um, and uh, we'll get that information out to everyone, all of my listeners. And, you know, you know, thanks a lot for coming on again. Well, thanks a ton for having me on the show. I re I'm, it's people like you also that, that put this on a platform where, where people have exposure to it. Uh, you're all part of the great work, and, and so I appreciate your efforts as well. I'd be more than happy to come on uh, again. We can continue to talk about you know other stuff or get deeper into things. So thanks again for having me on. I look forward to it. All right, Kerwin. Thank you so much, brother. Have a great night. You too. Take care. back everyone to the entertainment section of the podcast and uh, before we move on i want to give another thank you to kerwin rodriguez what a great guest and had a lot of knowledgeable uh you know expertise in the uh the teachings of alchemy and magic and um, uh, we're definitely going to have him on here in the near future to talk about some other stuff um, as well that i think that you guys will be interested in so again thank you so much to that guest and um uh, we certainly uh, hope to have you on again sometime soon so uh moving on um I don't know if you guys have seen, but another new trailer for the It movie, uh, the remake, has come out this past week. And it, um, you know, we first got a glimpse of the uh, It movie back in March when the first trailer came out. And it looked, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, it looked like it would um, uh, overshadow that uh, semi good 1990 miniseries uh, to shame. So hopefully, you know, um, this new trailer, uh, when I saw it this afternoon, I thought it was great. 
Uh, it basically shattered global viewership records on YouTube, um, basically amassing over 30 million views on the official uh, Warner Brothers channel alone. Uh, today, the new trailer, uh, definitely terrifying. Uh, lots of new footage. It gives us a lot more of a feel for um, the kids in the Losers Club uh, in that strange town of Derry. And uh, best of all, it's you know really jam-packed with a lot of new Pennywise scares that honestly um, have me believing this is going to be a, a very good remake uh, and probably one of the better scary scarier movies of um, you know our time. So I don't want to overhype it, you know, as everyone does when it comes to horror movies. But uh, this one actually looks pretty damn good, and the uh, trailers definitely try to back that up. So. As you may or may not know, Bill Skarsgård is the new Pennywise, so I think that was a great casting. I think he would bring a, a, def, a definitely a creepy side to the character because he just has that look about him. Um, he reminds me of, if you ever um, watch Toy Story, he reminds me of the uh, that evil kid at the end who uh, tries to kill all the toys. I forget his name. And um, he's the new Pennywise. It's going to look like it's going to be a pretty good film, so I'm definitely going to check it out. Definitely urge you guys to do the same as well. So it looks like Guillermo del Toro, the uh, famous uh, Mexican horror movie director, and Padron Tequila are partnering up for a very cool tequila. Basically, in celebration of National Tequila Day, Padron had just announced that an extremely limited collection uh, in collaboration with filmmaker Guillermo del Toro uh, will have you tasting the dark side. Uh, the blend of rare extra añejo tequila and orange liqueur is described as the first of its kind. And the deluxe package was inspired by art and rituals of Jalisco, Mexico. Patron X Guillermo de Toro is a meeting of the two masters, one of dark films and one of tequila. An altar of the ritual of drinking tequila, this limited edition product features a skull and skeleton shaped bottle housed in a box intricately illustrated with dark images that reflect Guillermo del Toro's take on Mexican culture. Uh, nestled in the deep red interior, the bottle contains 750 milliliters of blended extra Añejo tequila and 100 milliliters of aged orange liqueur. The cost, 475 freaking dollars, people. That's how much it's going to cost you to get that um, very limited edition uh, you know, tequila. And I'm not sure if I would even drink it, to be quite honest with you, if I bought something like that. Even if I had the balls to buy something like that for $475, uh, because I could use that money for a lot of other different things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cool-looking packaging. The bottle looks awesome. I mean, if I had, you know, money to piss away, I'd be pissing away on this. I can tell you that right now. Really cool design, and uh, definitely urge you guys to check it out. So, All right, so it looks like um, the Discovery Channel is unveiling a new... Uh, scary reality show and uh, basically the network has found another way just to push people um, again out of their comfort zones and this one seems to be pretty um, intense so the network is unveiling darkness it's a um, survival show that uh, plunges participants in the pitch dark basically and it's inspired by sensory deprivation training used by nasa and special forces the show is a grueling uh, challenge of mental and physical survival so this is how it goes down. Uh, you have three survivalists. They're trapped at different points inside an underground cave, okay? Uh, basically up to six days. And their goal is to find each other until they find their way out of the cave. Um, if they don't find their way out during the allotted time, they're pulled from the adventure. Thanks to uh, technological advances in uh, videography, the participants are filmed using infrared cameras 
that emit no visible light and are sometimes left alone with an infrared GoPro strap with their bodies. So why does it max out in six days? So experts say that the maximum time for um, sensory deprivation before participants lose their minds is a six day span. So um, it's that's where they cap it off at. And they can confirm that it's every bit as harrowing as it sounds. I mean, it really does sound kind of you know creepy. And I can see how um, you being up and, you know, maybe for six days straight, probably in some occasions in the dark uh, will definitely mess with your mind. So viewers will be given a sneak peek of the show on um, August 2nd and 3rd uh, after two special episodes of Naked and Afraid that will push the participants limits in new and challenging ways. All right, guys, it's time for a movie review. And as I promised earlier, we're, we're going to be talking about the movie The Void. And um, if you're in the mood for like an 80s style splatter festival, like a dose of cosmic horror, um, this movie, The Void, definitely won't disappoint you. So um, strangely fitting that Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kosatsky's The Void is probably one of the most delightfully creepy horror films that I've seen this year. So I basically snuck on Netflix a couple weeks ago without me even noticing. And um, as I you know, told you earlier, I watched it and I was completely amazed and amused by this, this movie. So this is um, basically a movie about, you know, evil that just permeates a small town and gradually that, you know, no one notices it until it's way too late. So basically it's like a cross of like cosmic horror of like HP Lovecraft and the body horror of like Stuart Gordon and the small, you know, the small town setting of Twin Peaks, like right down to the presence of actor Kenneth Walsh, uh, who played the Peaks baddie Wyndham Earl. And you'll end up with like something like The Void. And this film follows up a local cop who finds a, a dazed and bleeding man by the side of the road and takes him to a nearby rural hospital. Uh, basically, it's, um, you know, operating with like very minimal staff and supplies after a recent fire. So like most good horror movies, The Void begins with um, an already creepy premise and it takes it into a much more stranger direction as uh, you might expect. Basically, in the early moments of the movie, a nurse goes insane. She starts ranting about, you know, there's something wrong with her face and she cuts up a, you know, helpless patient with a scalpel. You know, and a pair of uh, desperate outsiders storm into the hospital with guns and hold the medical staff um, and the patient's hostage. And then there's like an inexplicable, like, horror sight of, you know, robe-wearing cultists around that surround the hospital you know standing perfectly silent and still until somebody actually tries to leave the hospital at you know at that point they start to attack so overall a great movie a lot of just you know really creepy stuff that's going on in the film a lot of visualization that i thought was just great and um you know just have you just you know kind of went with your mouth open at the end of the movie you're like what the hell did i just watch you know i definitely give this one a three out of four stars Great movie, The Void. If you have you know time to watch you know a pretty good horror flick uh, with a lot of you know pretty gruesome scenes in it, there's a lot of blood and gore. Um, I would definitely suggest you guys uh, checking this out. But um, again, the The Void, you can catch it on Netflix. It's playing right now, so um, definitely urge you guys to uh, see that one. Well, guys, it's the outro. And um, again, I want to thank Kerwin Rodriguez for um, doing the interview earlier. Thanks so much. And um, I want to thank you guys for, you know, uh, tuning into episode two. Uh, next week, it's going to be an all-political podcast, and we're going to get into some uh, conspiracy theories regarding that as well. But we're going to talk about the current landscape of the uh, political scene uh, here in America and all across the world as well. So we'll be getting into uh, you know North Korea, gun control, just a lot of just different crazy stuff. You know, uh, Scarmucci, we hope to uh, 
bring that to you next week and hopefully it's going to be entertaining i'm going to bring a guy on who is a uh, starch republican uh because i wanted to get that side of view and and not be a uh, bias and say um that i've only had a one-sided you know opinion uh, about this subject matter and so i wanted to be fair to all parties concerned i am not affiliated with any party i don't care either way um so um, it's gonna be an interesting conversation with a cool guy that i have a lot of respect for and uh, get along with very well so uh that's next week guys and uh, again uh, follow us at Dark Fringe Radio on Twitter. The website's darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. Uh, you catch us on SoundCloud um, on the same handle uh, every Wednesday night, and uh, we hope to bring you a, a new episode uh, every week. So, again, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.